1: Good morning, and welcome to your partner in success radio. This is where top performers share their secrets to help you achieve your personal and your professional goals. I am your host, Denise Griffiths, and together with my truly amazing guests, we bring you inspiring and actionable insights that are aimed to take your life and your business to the next level. Ranked in the top 2% globally, this podcast really is a must listen. So whether you're tuning in for entrepreneurial tips, career advice, or personal development strategies, get ready to turn inspiration into action, challenges into triumphs, and dreams into reality. Today is about financial literacy for women. And with women projected to control trillions of dollars, and that's trillions with a T, in wealth and living longer than men, isn't it crucial for us to stay informed about investment strategies? So get ready to empower your wealth with a leader in financial literacy and dynamic investment management. Join us now as we delve into the insights of Nancy Tinkler, CEO of Laffer Tinkler Investments, and discover the strategies that can elevate your financial journey. Welcome to your partner in success radio, Nancy. It's good to have you here. Oh, Denise, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. This is a big, big topic. I don't know why women don't really know as much about financial literacy as they could or should and i'm so glad you're here to share with us what can be done how we can learn where we can go to find good information so before i get started <clears throat> excuse me can you share a bit about you with our
0: audience yeah so i grew up in a single parent home my mother uh, my father left when i was about 12 and my mother got a job and then she got a second job and one of the things that became very um, obvious at, to me at a young age is that we just didn't have enough money. And so I got a job and decided to teach myself about money and, and learn how to, to turn m- money into more money. Um, and that's what you do with investing. And so that, that sort of drove me. And then I went off to college, thought I was going to be a fighter pilot for the Navy and decided because I was so competitive and decided that investing was probably a good place for me. <laughs>
1: Oh, you could have done both. (laughs) (laughs) I love that idea. You're going to be a fighter pilot and then teach people about (laughs) financial. It's brilliant.
0: Well, it was a, it was a dream, but I'm happy with what I did.
1: And you are. So you said something to me and we had a pre-interview and you said something to me that didn't shock me, but it. Did make me raise my eyebrows, and you said that re- research shows that women
0: outperform men in every study, every single one, Denise. Um, it's it's for a whole host of reasons, but the, the, it's it's sad because women excuse themselves from the conversation, and yet uh, they generate better returns. And if you want me to, I can take you through the reasons for that. It's it's in chap my favorite chapter of the book, which is entitled it's true. Women make better investors than men. Sorry, guys. Um, But one of the reasons is women tend to to, to do more research. uh, And that that leads, if you think about it, it's logical, because in the home, we tend to make the majority of the purchases. And so that is a natural attribute that we have. But one of the other reasons is that women aren't as competitive as men. And so they don't trade as much. And there was the, the landmark study on that first identified that women make Uh, Better Investors Than Men, was entitled Boys Will Be Boys, and it was by Brad Barber and Terrence O'Dean. And then they did a follow-up, which was titled Trading is Hazardous to Your Wealth, and they measured the returns of people that traded a lot. So um, the, the metric that we use in the business is turning over your portfolio. So if you turn over the whole thing in one year, it's 100%. Um, they most men in this study turned over their portfolio 250 percent and and there were some women that were active Traders their returns were an average of 11 and a half percent per year but the the longer term investor only turned over their portfolio 75 percent a year and they generated 16 and a half percent returns so it it's by also definition of how we approach the world um, that that we generate better returns and then we also demonstrate the ability to change our minds, and that um, if you've ever driven with a man, you know that that can be. Just ask for directions. No, so that becomes an important, you know, attribute as well. And then, lastly, and then I'll take a breath. Is that uh, there? There's anecdotal research that supports that women tend to operate in um, back and forth between the left. Hemisphere and the right hemisphere of their brains, and that's that's an important attribute for a a portfolio manager or an investor. You gather bits of data from various places, and then you make decisions. Men tend to stay in one uh, hemisphere or the other. There's nothing wrong with that; it's more sequential. And by the way, I mean we know that men make good investors because most investors are men. But it it is an important attribute I found, and I I loved that visual because I have a daughter and I have a son. And I can see, I can see it with both of them.
1: You know, it's interesting. I was listening to your your story in the very beginning, and you described me and my sister to a large degree. Our my father left when we were very young. She thinks the way you do. Unfortunately, I didn't. Yes. Well, <laughs> so, I think you did okay. <laughs> I hope so, but I mean, she's amazing. In fact, I was chatting with her the other day, and. She was, she was saying something about her husband had decided to talk to their their uh, financial advisor and do something she had specifically asked that he not do, and he did it anyway. I said, well, mm-hmm. did he get in trouble? She said, no, we have separate accounts. I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she does much better than he does for the reasons that you just
0: enumerated. Yeah, and and I had that same experience. That's actually why I wrote the book. Um, the the reason primarily is that you know I was a chief investment officer in San Francisco of a, a very large firm. I knew everyone in town. My when I retired in my 40s, I'm back at it. But when I retired, um, my husband and I interviewed managers, and they spent the entire meeting asking him the questions, and then he would turn and say, "Well, I don't know," and he'd ask me. And so it wasn't even you know I wasn't offended as a as a feminist or a. It was just so darn inefficient. And I I realized, and this is a true statistic that um, what most of the money spouses are men. And when they die, two thirds of women fire their financial advisor in the first year because they don't have a relationship with them or they don't listen to them, as is the case with your sister. And so that's an expensive and unpleasant thing to have to do if you're you know, in the process of grieving or you've, you know, gotten divorced and you've got all that goes with that. So I want women to engage before they get to that point uh, so that they have a relationship and they have knowledge. And that's why um, in the women's guide to successful investing, there is a glossary in the back of terms. So you you can't be fooled. I try to demystify the process for women. And then there's 12 intelligent investing rules as well as uh, a lot of lessons from mistakes I've made, uh, things I've learned from my uber wealthy clients, some of the great decisions I've made to give you confidence and courage to stick with it when the markets are down. And, and I think that, um, I think the second edition, which is what this is, is much better than the first because I, I use these case studies. Tell us about some of the
1: mistakes that you made and what you learned from them.
0: Oh, the first and foremost is taking tips from people, because whenever someone tells you about a stock, they always somehow it always doubled. And um, but then, you know, those same people never pick up the lunch tab, I've noticed as well. But um, so I I list a series of stocks that I purchased based on just without doing research, just based on somebody I knew told me to buy it. This was early in my career and it was in my own account, not my client's accounts. And um, and then when I should have listened, one of the great investors in the nation um, gave me a stock tip, and I was like, "Well, I'm not going to fall for that again." And it, I think, it quadrupled in a couple of years. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so what I did learn from that is you you do what you you buy what you know. And the great Peter Lynch, who ran Fidelity, Fidelity's Magellan Fund for many years, that was his advice: buy what you know. And don't chase, uh, one of the investing rules is, you know, don't run around with the fast crowd. Just chase, I mean, just focus on what you know. And in our everyday lives, we have exposure uh, to, to many companies. We, we know the quality of the product or the quality of the service. You don't have to own every company in the S and run very concentrated portfolios for myself and my clients. Um, when you have a great idea, and Warren Buffett has said that I've probably had twelve great ideas in my life, he said, and and that's that's a fact. And uh, I have had the same experience. So it's that was one of the major lessons that I learned uh, early in my career.
1: And see, that makes sense. And you're right; we do have access Bud Light right now. Geez, really. What the heck were they thinking? But I think their stock has gone way, way, way down. I don't know if anybody's investing with them now. I I don't care enough anymore. But I watched it happen and went, well, that's interesting, right? Well, and that does. If were to say Denise, you know, buy that? No, oh heck, no. I know where they're tumbling.
0: Heck. See, and you have good instincts. I think I think most women do. We, we tend to be perceptive and pay attention to details. And we tend to be very disciplined. And I think that will be the biggest objection. The, the two biggest things I hear is I don't have time, but there's so many solutions for that. And I describe them in the book. Tons of free research that you can access. You can open a brokerage account with $0 by fractional shares. So if you're a Chipotle nut and the stock's trading at. Fifteen hundred dollars a share, you can buy ten dollars worth now. Couldn't do any of that when I started in the business, um, but but also that people think they're too old. And so one of the case studies I cite is a woman named Stephanie Muka. She and her husband bought two hundred and fifty five dollars worth of Medtronic. They held it for twenty five years and cashed out somewhere around five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But then he passed away, and she took over the portfolio after she retired or close to retirement, and began buying stocks and continued to on a fixed income. And when when that she passed away, she had given away or still had a total of $5 million. And that's the power of the compounding of owning stocks for the long term, buying stocks that pay dividends and grow their dividends, and, and holding on through thick and thin.
1: And again, that makes sense, but I have to ask you, what is fractional shares? That's a new one on me.
0: Oh, it's just um, you buy uh, whatever you can afford. So if a stock's oh. trading at $100 and, and you only have 10, then you get one tenth of a share and and then you just add to it over time. And that's really remarkably helpful, especially for young people. And and I also encourage women in the book to just talk to their kids about investing in products. And we do that for our clients. I was just on the phone with a, a high school, a, a very smart and poised high school woman, young woman who uh, made the investment club at her high school. And they actually invest real money that's given by the donors. And so it's it's exciting to me to see her at, uh, only one among all young men uh take take the lead in her class it's it's awesome but so that's that's what fractional shares do and um they're they're very helpful it sounds like it and
1: you know you had mentioned too that the average age of a widow in the united states is 59 and a half years old which is so young and, yeah and the average age of a woman's first divorce is 30 that i know about Women need to engage in the investing process and working with their family advisor is what you say. And you, you talked about that earlier, but I've got to tell you a story that this happened several years ago. I'd sold my house. I was in a rental and before I bought this house and the lady who owned this and several other properties around me knew nothing about it. Her husband handled everything. Older Cajun lady, it's, you know, That's the way Cajuns tend to operate. They're very patriarchal, which I have no problem with. But I was worried about her at the end of it, because when he passed kind of unexpectedly, she was in deep trouble. I mean, everybody and their grandmother wanted a handout. She didn't know what properties she owned. Her stepson, I'm sorry. um, I can't remember. He was related somehow. But anyway, he finally stood up and and took over, and he helped her quite a bit. But she didn't even know how to write a check. No, that's an extreme example. But I watched it, I witnessed it, and I just went, How in this day and age could this have happened to her? She knew nothing. She didn't know where anything was. She
0: couldn't write a check. I think that's what bothered me the most well, and and it's not getting better. I mean, i I don't hear extreme cases like that, but but I hear some pretty shocking um circumstances when when women come to our firm. and uh, I, I there was a study by UBS and baby boomer generation, which I'm part of. um they are engaged more in the finance and investing aspect than millennial women. And it's it that troubled me. And I think one of the reasons is, you know, we came of age during, the 401k kind of had to engage and start making decisions. Uh, and we had very strong stock market in the nineties when many of us were at peak earnings years, but, um, the, the younger people saw that, you know, they saw the great financial crisis and they saw their parents, uh, 401ks melt during that period. And during that bear market, I think they're slowly coming in now, but it it's, no one expects to get divorced at 30. You don't get married and think, oh, I better get ready to get divorced. And I was 59 when my husband passed away and it felt way too early. So I happily, you know, had financial experience, but there's so many other things to contend with. It's not really a good time to learn about investing when you're dealing with it.
1: And when you have Uh, widow brain going on, never
0: a good time. Right, exactly, yes.
1: And I wanted to ask you too, Nancy, because we're talking about divorced women and um we' you know divorced and widowed, but i'm I'm curious to see what you're seeing about women who are in the middle of a divorce, and their husbands are doing everything they can to make sure they don't get a penny, and it happens. It's sad, but it
0: happens. Yeah. I give them a number of a really good attorney who (laughs) works in New York and um, deals with a lot of uh, famous couple split ups. Um, But yeah, this is the problem because you don't know the passwords and many, I have friends who do not know the passwords. They don't know how much money they have. Uh, The husband takes care of all of it, which, you know, the, my favorite clients are the men that come in and say, I want you to work with my wife. And, and so what, what I try to do is, is have them open an account on their own and pick stocks on their own. And then, you know, we'll, we'll manage the bulk of the assets, but they get their feet wet, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a bad situation for many women. And that, that ends up costing them psychic, uh, economics and actual economics.
1: It's grief process. When you're going through something like that, you're angry. You're, you know, you're being cheated. You know, things are being hidden and look, women do it too. I'm not picking on men, but it's a different kind of a grief, but your brain is not functioning all that well during this kind of thing.
0: Right. Definitely. Both are tragic. And then there are women who are never going to get married. And so, you know, they need to also take charge because I I do talk about, you know, the attributes that you should look for in a financial advisor, but one of them is just transparency. Uh, You need someone, it's your money. And we tell our clients that all the time. I mean, we're going to give you our advice, but it's your money. And, and so you have a right to know exactly what's going on with it. And I, I heard from a lot of people. uh, I do a lot of um, television media and I hear from a lot of people and I heard from a number of people during, during the COVID bear market, they couldn't even get through to their advisor, or they tried to schedule an appointment and it was three months out. Well, that was, that was too late. Things changed pretty quickly. And so I I think you need to have that rapport. And that's why if you are married, you need to develop a relationship with that advisor uh, while your husband is still there. And you're yeah, absolutely.
1: And listen, you mentioned COVID. I've I watch everything. I'm intensely curious about almost everything and being a web developer and and a, you know, social media manager, I'm always saying, okay, what are you doing? How are you showing up? The very first thing I did after, you know, we went into basically lockdown was get in touch with all of my clients and say, you better show up, call them, talk to them, put something on your website saying, we are here do not disappear. And so many people did. They just, they panicked. They didn't know how to pivot. Oh, that's such good advice. They lost a lot. Such good advice. Yeah. Well, you should do this anyway. If something happens with your business that was completely unexpected and you need to take a break from it for a little while or walk off and restructure, you need to let everybody
0: know what you're doing. Don't hide. Right. That's that's really really good advice because I think a lot of financial advisors did, because the market went down so dramatically and so quickly. We we stood in front of our clients and had multiple you know Zoom, well we, I don't even know if we were Zooming at the beginning of COVID, but we were doing something, uh, video calls and and also calling them directly because it's it's scary and I think and that's one of the things I want people to get comfortable with is that you know stocks go up two thirds of the years. Um, but they don't go up every year. And so that I view as an opportunity to to reposition my clients' portfolios and my own because everything's on sale. You could buy, you know, last year when we were in the bear market, you could buy uh, Microsoft at $214 a share last fall. And it's, I, I don't know exactly where it is right now, but it's like $360 a share. Um, that's a huge opportunity, a once in a generational opportunity. Uh, If if you get the chance, so you have to view um, opportunity in every sort of disaster. Um, The Chinese actually have a a sign for that um, a character.
1: I think I know what you're talking about. But you know, if we go back into history, and we look at the people who really kind of built these this country, the Rockefellers, you know, the the I can't even remember the names, but you know, I'm talking about. They all saw things just going to crap, and they jumped. Yeah. And the robber barons. The, the exactly the robber barons. And I know that I can see their faces. I just can't remember their names. Okay. But they didn't stand around and wring their hands and go, Well, woe is me. What do we do now? They went out and they made opportunity. And we have the right to do the same thing.
0: We do make we do. opportunities. You're absolutely right, Denise, and you can do it with very little amounts of money. What really sort of jarred me into place when I was r- raising my kids, and you, you know, you get to the end of the month, and you know, we need more swim goggles and soccer cleats and whatever it was. And I thought, well, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to bother to save three hundred dollars or two hundred or one hundred, whatever it was at the time. And and so there were a number of years where I didn't save, and then I read, reread, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, and Francie Nolan's grandmother used to have, she had a tin cup. And she used to put coins in it. And her goal was to be able to buy property because she was an immigrant to the United States. And so as little as you have, you can still build a, an investment portfolio, a la Stephanie Mooka. Uh, and I have a number of examples of people like that, that, that just one guy was a janitor and he lived in Connecticut. And, and then when he wasn't janitoring, he was pumping gas and he died with $8.2 million. I think I read about him. Ronald Reed. Yep. He, Ah. uh, he, he died and uh, left it to the town, I think, but you know, it it doesn't take, you, you know, you have to start somewhere and it's never too late and you never have too, too little to, to become an investor.
1: And that leads me to a random thought. This always happens when I'm talking with fascinating people, but I'm thinking about the gig economy. I read something a couple of days ago where this man and he proved it he has made far more money and a lot of money from his side side gigs gig economy than he has with his job job <laughs> and he's doing all three i mean he's doing three different jobs right now two are his their gig economy type of jobs the other one is him showing up for work he's doing very well but he's excited about it he's he's you know investing he's telling other people listen don't just take a job and then sit there
0: and wait for the gold watch that's not going to happen not these right. days right and and that's that's inspirational because you know we can all we could all be doing that at any stage in our life i mean i should be retired and um i'm not and i'm not going to be because i think keeping yourself busy and focused and learning like you said you're intensely curious about just about everything that that's what keeps you young and i think uh it's it's also how you generate wealth over the long term
1: i think so and listen my my idea of you know becoming retired is me falling asleep at 100 years old still plotting world domination i'm going <laughs> anywhere so just so y'all know <laughs> that's awesome
0: i love that
1: you you mentioned that you're never too old i mean you just And I I guess that ties into what's going on in my head right now about side gigs. You can mow grass, you know, do something that can bring in that extra hundred bucks a month that you can invest. And you're never too old to do much of anything, I don't think.
0: Well, it's so funny you mentioned that because one of the things about Stephanie Muka was after her husband died, she sold her wedding ring, which I thought was a little bit extreme, but she invested the proceeds and then Eventually, this was pre Airbnb, she started renting out rooms in her home. And, you know, I, I I don't want to live that way. But that is certainly an option. Uh, I I like to have my space finally, after all these years. But um, yeah, it's, it's an important thing to consider. And I think this notion, you know, one in 10 people save enough for retirement one in 10. So most people are going to have to go back to work anyway, you might as well be doing something, you might as well be doing something you love.
1: But are we even able to determine what,
0: what is enough for retirement these days? I think there's, there's a couple of good, um, benchmarks. One one is, uh, was designed by Fidelity and they, they say you should plan on having 10 times of your last salary in savings. And, and the other thing I think we have to, we have to remember is that, you know, you can, one, my first intelligent investing rule in the book is, um, the biggest risk to women's portfolios is that we frequently don't take enough risk and i think that is also true with retirees because you don't need all the money the first day you retire and so they still should have a pretty aggressive profile and i document that you know what what would it look like if you had 80% in stocks and in retirement or 50% and what's your return 10 20 years from now because retirement is is 20 years of unemployment and 30 years if you're lucky. So you want your assets to continue to grow as you retire or as you, you know, edge into retirement. But the sad fact is that most, most people, the vast majority of people um, do not ha- have enough saving or investments for retirement. And that's a tragedy.
1: And we read so often about people depending on social security to
0: pay their monthly bills. Oh my oh my, is right. Yes. And it's, it's not, it's not enough money to do that. Um, It will be. I don't think it was meant to be, was it? I don't think so. I think it was meant to be a supplement Um, because remember back then too, most people had a defined, a pension, a defined benefit plan. So when my father-in-law retired, he'd spent 44 years at the equitable, he got a pension payment. Now we don't have that. We have 401ks, which is a, a defined contribution plan. And so you're managing your own assets and you're determining how much you're going to put away. The companies shifted uh, the responsibility to to their employees. And then, you, you know, you can take it with you, which increased job mobility, but that was the good thing. But the bad thing is that a lot of people don't save enough. And so they they are counting on social security. It, what's really happening, Denise, I think is most people just don't think about it and you blink and all of a sudden you're in your 60s.
1: I think you're right. I, you see a lot of people see, oh I'm just gonna work until I retire, and then I'm going to go do and I'm thinking, okay, but how? What's your plan? Give me a plan.
0: <laughs> that's right. And I see it every day, sadly.
1: Bet you do. So and we're talking mostly about women here, but what what are you finding, male, female, what are you finding that's kind of new and maybe really interesting? Because we've got inflation, we've had supply chain issues. There's a lot going on in our world that I think is, it's always kind of been there, but now it's just in stark relief. We cannot
0: ignore it. Yeah, I actually just wrote a commentary on this, that that this this environment is analogous to the 90s, because what you're hearing people say, I think it's actually a real opportunity for investors, despite all the bad news. But you're hearing people say, oh, my gosh, mortgages are at 8%. Well, my first mortgage was at 12.5%. Right? I didn't (laughs) know that was a thing. Oh, Oh, yeah. In the 90s, interest rates were much higher. And in the 80s, actually, it was when we bought our first home. But uh, and and. Inflation was higher, it was above 3% and there was a war and recession and many of the same things that we're facing now. And so one of the things that I think it's important for investors to pay attention to is, uh, we, we our investing theme for this particular period is old economy companies that are embracing the digital and uh, cloud computing revolution. So think of Starbucks with 75 million digital um down, you know people who have downloaded their apps and used the digital app to, to order their coffee that's that's improving margins it's clearing out the stores it's you know it's more profitable business for them um but then the, the companies that are supplying that so like a microsoft that you know is a cloud computing company among other things and and so to really just sort of embrace um the generative AI movement, it is real. I don't think it's going to end humanity. Um, no. And, and you there's- You have to be careful with it. You have to be careful, but it is being monetized today. And so I think, you know, there was a, a great paper that was written um, by Mark Andreessen called How AI is Going to Save the World. So he's taking the opposite argument. And then you can read what Elon Musk has said and form your own opinions, but you should be investing around that. And that's um, men and women. I think these are the next Remember when Walmart was a great growth company and people made millions of dollars just from owning Walmart or Costco. When I was making those Costco runs, you know, for and car for sports, I should have been buying the stock. So there's a lot of ways to think about the world, even even with old economy companies in this new world. And then, you know, the the human tragedy of war is terrible as we know and try, you know, it's it's heartbreaking, but we also know historically that stocks and the economy tend to do better and it frustrates people. Um, You know, they think it's history,
1: but if you don't believe it, watch your history. Yes. What was it? I read this some years ago, but world war one, world war two, I can't remember. It's one of the, the great world wars. And of all things that were in the most demand was lipstick and candy,
0: (laughs) lipstick of all things. Well, that used to be a great recession indicator. So funny because what women don't have money to buy, you know, to make themselves pretty or fashionable whatever, they they spend money on lipsticks. I didn't know that statistic, but I I did know that recessions tend to be a good time to own makeup companies. So that's so funny. (laughs) Go
1: figure, but I guess maybe it's psychology. Maybe if we just feel down and out enough, if we can brighten our faces up a little bit, that's right, like to feel a little bit
0: better. Who knows? But
1: it's got to be psychology.
0: Masks we had to wear. Oh, I didn't wear them. Yeah, I, well, we didn't really have to in Arizona either, but um, some places we certainly did.
1: I got kicked out of a grocery store because I went in. Yeah, I was. I was just going to go in and buy eleven dollars worth of stuff. I didn't need much, and it's my local grocery store. And Uncle Bob met me at the door. Uncle Bob and I had a talk. You know who he is? He's always the guy that nobody wants at the family reunion. And I, you know, I told him, I said, listen, I'm not going to wear a mask. Don't keep poking it at me. I'm not going to wear it. Well, do you have a doctor's appointment? I said, that's HIPAA. You're not allowed to ask. This was when it was still brand new, but he was determined. And I got past him and I strolled on past him. And then he must have called the manager and the manager chased me around the store. I shouldn't even say this, but he was 350 on the hoof if he was a pound. So I decided he needed to have some exercise. And I just wandered across the store. Nobody was in there. This was in the days when they were starting to put those UN face shields on their faces. Uh, It was all ridiculous. And and we know it now, don't we? We do. We absolutely do. And I deliberately, I'm a mean girl. I think I've mentioned this. I stayed in that store without a mask. There was nobody else in there. It was me and one other guy. We're just looking at each other like, hey, how you doing? We're normal. They're not. And this poor manager, I finally let him catch up with me all the way across the store. And he said, ma'am, ma'am. And he was huffing and puffing. God bless him. And he tried to do the Uncle Bob thing. And I said, listen, I'm not going to wear a mask. You can't ask me about my medical conditions. If I have any, I'll check out soon and you have a nice day. And he didn't know what to do. So an hour later, I spent eleven I have I still remember this, eleven dollars (laughs) and fourteen cents. And I went out and I, you know, blew a kiss to Uncle Bob and I went home. (laughs) That was the end of that.
0: Good for you. That's all I, I have to say. But
1: I didn't go back for a year until they calmed it down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it was just so sad. Just and you saw you know people turning people in and i mean I know. australia i don't know what happened down there but they were throwing people to the ground. yeah
1: yeah it it's interesting and i mean i will see even now very elderly people wearing a mask i get it mm-hmm. if you wear a mask you can but you are not going to point a finger at me yes i agree that agreed. Thing will get snapped off <laughs> i'm a little so. frightened Yeah, I'm mean, well, I talk mean anyway. (laughs) So listen, I wanted to ask you what inspired you, you wanted to to be a pilot, but what inspired you to pursue this current career and how
0: did you get started? Well, in the early early days, it's not all that interesting, but in the early days, I worked for a bank and banks had trust departments and I became just enamored of the investment process. And I think the reason is, is that you get a report card every day. Uh I I do think that being, and I tell this to the young people that work with me, you know, if you're an investor, you're, you need to be prepared to, to live a life of perpetual dissatisfaction <laughs> because if you buy a stock and it goes up, you didn't buy enough. And if you buy it and it goes down, you bought too much. But uh, I, I love it because I'm always learning. And then at the end of the day, I go, OK, I think the portfolio did what it was supposed to do. Or if it didn't, I'm going to make these changes. And it, it's, um, it's a constant challenge. It's also exhausting especially in times like this where markets have been very volatile the last five years, but um, we've made a lot of money for people. And that makes me happy as well, because they can do it. They can do what they want with it. They can give it away. Um, They can use it all. They can pass it on to their kids. But um, my job is to get them to have the luxury of making that choice.
1: And good for you. I wanted to ask you, penny stocks, is that still a thing? I knew a man some years ago who would drone on and on and on about penny stocks. I finally got to the point where I would just make this, you know, that sign of the cross, like, stop it. Whenever <laughs> I'd see him, I wouldn't even let him talk.
0: I, I think those are the same men that are turning over their portfolio 250 <laughs> a year. Um, I don't hear much about it. I, I've never... Um, I've never tried to uh, make money um, by trading because it inevitably you're gonna you're gonna lose it all and we saw that with the meme stocks I think they're the new penny stocks uh, and the meme stocks were the ones where you know they were on the reddit chat board and um, you, you know every, they said okay everybody buy this tomorrow and they drove AMC up when the movie theaters were closed you weren't making any money it there was there was no connection to reality there've been a lot of articles about people that took out second mortgages on their homes oh, what? and bought at the, at the top, which is what inevitably ha- happens. There's one or two people in the beginning that make a lot of money. And I actually used to write a column for USA Today. And, and I wrote a, a piece about it because I was thrilled that, that younger people, this was when you know, everybody was getting transfer payments from the government and they weren't working or they were working from home. And so they were trading a lot. And uh, I said, you know, I'm so glad you, you're here. This is the next generation of investors, but you know, th- this kind of a strategy works until it doesn't work. And one of one of my analysts was on the Reddit chat board the next that night, and he said, "Oh boy, they didn't like that article." <laughs> so that's you know the the meme stock craze. I think was the the latest penny stock craze. So I just advise you to. I, I'm going to give you an example, Denise. I bought Starbucks. Uh, for my kids when it went from in 2007, April of 2007. I remember that like your $11 and 14 cent grocery bill. And I I'll never it.
1: forget that. And that was <laughs> a
0: true story. I did not exaggerate in any way. Oh, I'm sure you did not exaggerate. I have no trouble believing it. Um, anyway, I bought it at $30 a share. It did come down from 45 Howard Schultz came back, he'd left, he came back for the first time. And um, the stock immediately ran up. And then we got 2008 and 2009. And the stock went down to $7 a share. And I, I'm a chicken. So when the market sells off, I don't open my statements or don't go online and look at my accounts, because I know I'll be tempted to do the wrong thing. Uh, I should have bought more, I didn't. And um, yet, Since that time, and there've been a lot of bear markets since then, the stock's up 14% annually on average for me. It averaged 14% annually and the market's up eight. So when you buy great companies, you can afford to hold them during downturns because the managements will figure it out and they have brand and, and industry dominance and they will solve the problem. And so I cite a number of examples of that. Microsoft is another one. Um, I bought it when nobody wanted to own it, and Apple when uh Tim Cook sat, uh took over and yeah. he, was, he was no Steve Jobs, and yeah, he about six times sixfold. so
1: well, and I wanted to ask you because we're talking about brand in women in particular we tend to pay attention we're on twitter, we're on Reddit, we're watching we're seeing the gossip behind the scenes, so to speak, and we're making you know if we're operating with critical thinking skills, we're paying attention and we're saying, hmm, I'm not going to do anything about this right now, but I'm going to put it over here in my watch this later drawer. Culture, I think, and I wanted to ask you about this. Culture has an awful lot to do with what, what companies are going to be doing now and in the future. And if their culture is rotten, and some of them are, let's go back to Budweiser. How is that going to impact what kind of you know, how you see people investing because culture is moving, it's changing and I'm just going to go there. You know, you see a lot of go woke, go broke. We're seeing that. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, that's one of our primary, that's where we spend a lot of time is learning about management and, and it it's easier to do than you think there's, there's all sorts of, um, resources, which I discuss in the women's guide. Um, and I, I think, it, it is important and we have exited companies where we thought the culture got off track Because and Budweiser is a perfect example of that, but definitely not the only example. And I, I think investors uh, and women, do, you're making my point about left brain, right brain, you read various things, you store it away, you come back to it. Um, I think that that's assessing and understanding the management team. If you know nothing other than that, um, you can make a lot of money in, in stocks because you know there are people you want to do business with, and and that's that's what private equity managers do. They spend a lot of time with the CEO to figure out if they have the character to succeed. And um, one of my favorite companies is a company called ServiceNow, and Bill McDermott is CEO, and he he's a good salesman, but he's a really good CEO, and he makes the pivots at the right time. Netflix pivoted. Remember, you used to send. Um, I mean, that was a mail-in DVD model right. and they right. pivoted to streaming. Chipotle pivoted um, with their with their CEO to Chipotle lanes and um, digital. A- and, and those are the kind of things that you're looking for. And there are companies that have most definitely been left behind by not making those pivots. Walmart's done a great job of pivoting. Target has not. So I think... Um, those are things you pay attention to. I mean, and then you just don't fall in love. I mean, I had a guy that worked for me and he loved Disney and I kept saying, we need to sell it. And we did. And it's gone from 140 down to you know 80. And they brought Bob Iger back again. Um, That was a company that lost their way. Oh, listen, I won't have anything to do
1: with Disney these days at all. Yeah, but it's a you, personal thing, but I will not, if it's, you know, if it's a Disney movie, if it's a Disney anything, I'm like, no, thank you. I really despise them right now.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's because they strayed into places where they didn't, and they forgot who their customer was. Target did the same thing. Budweiser did the same thing. Um, I would argue that BlackRock did the same thing, but mm-hmm. it's it's important to recognize all of your constituents. We We know that instinctively. Um, but th- that's where management becomes critical. Management has to have courage, and I will. I will say Tim Cook has done an amazing job of threading the need- needle. Uh, I don't think Jane Fraser at Citigroup has, and um, so there. That's something we do pay attention to.
1: Well, and I think a lot of people do, whether they recognize it or not and gossip is everywhere. Sometimes it's absolutely spot on. Sometimes you have to really dig in the muck and find out what's going on if you're curious enough. But it's out there. Like you said, it's out there. We don't have to be ignorant about what companies are doing, what their CEOs believe, if their right. culture is starting to rot, if it's you know getting stronger. That information is out there. You need to do your homework.
0: Yeah, and their websites. We actually ran one of the first um ETFs, uh, they've they've since shut down, but we still have a lot of the clients that it's called shareholders first. It's the strategy. And there are a number of websites where you can go and find companies that have been rated. Um, One, uh, I can't remember the name right now. I'm sorry, but um, you you can Google or um, whatever your preferred um, search engine is. I'm using Bing these days because of chat GPT, but um, you you can find companies and their stance on, various issues that are measured by this not-for-profit and it's it, we were generating incredibly good returns for the three years we ran this thing much better than the market in an up market and we couldn't own any of the usual suspects that were driving the market like the tech a lot of technology names we couldn't own them in these portfolios but um yeah it's it's an interesting way to invest and there's a lot of data
1: that's That's fascinating. I wrote that down. I have been reading recently about, we're talking about AI and artificial intelligence. Listen, everybody who's listening, it's not going to go away. You might as well learn to master it, or at the very least, understand it. It's been out there for a while. We just didn't know it. Now know it. So be careful with it. But it's it really can be a boon to you unless you're giving it really bad prompts and it lies to you. It you know you hear a lot about. Um, chat GPT hallucinating they do they have a good old times don't trust everything that's returned to you but I've been reading quite a bit just kind of here there and yonder and I can't cite anything in particular it's just one of those things that's in my drawers and I'm paying attention to it but There's an awful lot of new startups. I mean, they're coming fast and furious, way too fast, way too furious. And in my opinion, some of them have not thought this out and they don't have a solution for when it all goes bad and it will Mm -hmm. just because of what they're doing. And money is being just tossed at these companies, whether they have anything in their portfolio that proves they know what the heck they're talking about or not. That's kind of scary.
0: Well, and you raise a super important point. Um, and that's, again, why I think women can do their own investing. You had some of the major private equity companies invest in FTX, Sam Bankman Fried's company. Yep. He's no, going to be in
1: jail forever.
0: Right. And they, this company had no C- CFO, no risk profile plan, no board of directors, and yet they poured money into him. In, into his business. And that, that is exactly what you're describing. It becomes, um, the fast crowd as, which is one of my investing rules. Don't run with the fast crowd and they're chasing the stuff and they're telling you how great it is. And we're making all this money until it crashes. And that was a, I, I hope a lesson for people. I mean, the jury didn't have any trouble figuring it out very quickly that he was guilty and that was parents as
1: well from the look it
0: of it. I I think that may prove to be true. Yeah. yeah.
1: But, you know, but I'm seeing it. Apparently people have not learned because I'm seeing this pop up all of the time. And I love the fast crowd. I love that. But what is happening is I'm going to tell you straight out. I think these people who are putting these things out there, oh, we got, you know, we're going to do this with AI and blah, 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 blah. What they've got are some really tremendous copywriters.
0: They don't have a plan. <laughs> proof me wrong. <laughs> I think you're right, and that's unfortunate because they're investing the the private equity people uh, um, are investing other people's money, and right. um, yeah. So i i um we I will assure you that we do a tremendous amount of research, and but but again, um you know, accessible to most women. Um and and I I direct them to all the places where they can get uh good research. So.
1: Let's talk about your book. I actually am sorry to say I don't have it in front of me. It hasn't arrived yet, but I can't wait to read it. I know it's on its way, and I'll let you know when it lands on my doorstep. But what what in your book right now, give us the title of it, where people can find it, and where do you want people to really dig in and start saying, oh, I can do this,
0: or this is inspiring, Oh, thank you. Well, the, the it's the Women's Guide to Successful Investing. It's the second edition. Um, it's on Amazon. I actually don't know what bookstores it's in, but it if if you go to our website, which is Laffer, L-A-F-F-E-R, Tangler, my last name, T-E-N-G-L-E-R.com, there's a, a button that you can click and I think it takes you to Amazon. Um, it no- does.
1: <laughs> I tried it this morning. It okay. goes, goes straight to Amazon
0: or you can just simply go to Amazon, uh, I guess, but, um, and it, I think what I try to do is, um, well, one of my favorite quotes was I used in the preference preface of the first edition, but it was a quote by Ann Richards, uh, who used to be the governor of, the Texas. of Texas, wasn't she? Yes. I and love her. She said, after all, Ginger Rogers did everything that Fred Astaire did. She just did it backwards and in high heels. That's right. (laughs) Doesn't that stick with you? I mean, it's just so pithy. It's perfect. And it's true, I think. And so for the women who think, I can't put one more thing on my plate, what I've tried to do is lay out how simple it is how um, important it is, and how much better we are at this particular activity. And uh, even if you don't invest your portfolio, your own portfolio, you're going to make a you're going to make a much better client for your advisor by by challenging them with with the with the terms and understanding the terms. And you're probably going to end up with more money because they're going to know that you're watching and do a better job for you. And that's just human nature. That's not a ding on financial advisors. And so. Um, I, I think that the important, my favorite chapter is the chapter on women, uh, that they make better investors than men. And sorry, guys, but it's true. And and then I also talk about COVID and how, you know, I left the workforce, uh, I retired in my 40s, as I mentioned, uh, to really be home. Um, you know, I was home a lot. I worked from home back before it was a thing, but I had my mom and and my husband, we all, were there and paying attention but when my kids were in middle school I, I wanted to face them every day and so I, I left the industry which probably left my peak earning years and a lot of women did that during covid and so they have to catch up and so I I I write about that as well and and how what what strategies for that but then I also talk about developing an investment discipline and and give women I think the tools to 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 know what kind of investors they are what their risk profile is and then You know take it and and run with it and um and then lastly if you are indeed too busy uh, there's a chapter on um on etfs it's entitled mutual funds or so 1990 how to use exchange traded funds and and coincident with the book we launched our own um etf the ticker is tglr so that women that had you know didn't meet our minimums could participate uh, with with our uh, style of investing, which is, it's a workhorse core product uh, for any portfolio. So um, I think understanding what an ETF is and why you might want to own one. And then there's stock case studies. And then, as I mentioned, critical lessons I've learned over the years. So let's talk about ETFs. What are they? ETFs are really fascinating. And I'm, I'm, modestly proficient but they are baskets of stocks so they started as um a way to emulate the S&P 500 and then they branched out into you know now there's sector ETFs and there and there are passive ETFs and active so these are baskets of securities that trade like a stock so they're priced you know second by second um but whereas a mutual fund is priced at the end of the day so when you put your investment in mutual fund, you don't actually know what price you're going to pay for it. With an ETF, you do. And they're much more tax efficient because securities are delivered. There's not a lot of buying and selling. They're delivered in in these baskets of securities. And so the the after-tax total return is much more compelling than a mutual fund. And so you can find one for just about anything. I think they just approved the first Bitcoin ETF. There's gold ETFs. There's energy ETFs. And ours is an equity income. It's a dividend growth strategy that I've managed um, according to this discipline for 40 years. And it, it has a pretty, um, I think I can say this has a pretty outstanding track record compared to all the other equity income managers in the country and lower levels of risk than the overall stock market. So it but there are tons and you you can buy them and sell them and the one good thing about them Denise is lots of times we fall in love with stocks that we buy and you don't really fall, tend to fall in love with an ETF so when you decide it's not performing as you want you can sell it and be gone. See I like that idea. And you, you can be any age to do this. You, you know,
1: maybe you retired, your husband is gone for whatever reason. Maybe you put him out at the curb and hope somebody would pick him up. Who knows? But, you know, you're on your own and now you're looking for a lot of different things. Mostly taking control of your own life.
0: And this is the best way to do it is to get control of your finances. And yes, the, the, the notion of ETFs gives you a lot of flexibility. Where can they find yours? I think anywhere. The ticker is, this is a curse and a blessing. It's TGLR. The people that sponsored the ETF thought that would be good. It sounds like Tangler. I wanted it to be TNT because that's what my kids call me. (laughs) I like that. Um, But anyway, yes, it's TGLR. And I think you can buy it anywhere. Uh, If you have a brokerage account, you can um, just buy it like a stock. That's, that's the beauty of these. And then I, I make all the decisions underneath it and that's, uh, and it pays out dividends every month. So,
1: yeah. I'm going to talk to my sister. She probably knows way more than I do. So listen, we've, we're going to run out of time pretty quickly here. What advice, this has been a fascinating hour. It always is. And this has just been, I've been scribbling notes like crazy. So what advice do you have for others who are just starting out, you know, talking about, okay, I'm going to take control of my finances. It doesn't matter if I'm still married. If I'm not married, I'm widowed. I need to have a better handle on what's going on with my life and my finances. What advice do you give them?
0: Do it and do it
1: <laughs> do now. it. Now.
0: I knew yeah. you were going to say that. Um, but I, I mean, you, you. this is meant to be an encouragement, this book, and it's not meant to add one more thing to your plate. It's It's that you have the wherewithal. I mentioned Peter Lynch early in the the podcast. He also said if you have fifth grade math, um you have all the all that you need to be a good investor. Buy what you know, utilize your skill set and then um you know, and your intuition and instincts, do your research and then let these things incubate over time and just keep adding money to your investment portfolio.
1: And all of that is perfectly logical. Somebody told me many, many years ago that, and I think it was it was one of the robber barons, I can't remember which one it was, but he basically said, if your shoe shine boy is advising you to buy this stock, get out. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah or something along those lines. And went, Well, that makes sense. <laughs> that's true. And you want to always be investing when everybody hates the market. And there are all sorts of sentiment indicators that are public knowledge. Um, yeah, you want to go against the crowd, not with the fast crowd.
1: I love that fast crowd. Is that something that you, you can kind of came up with or has it been around?
0: Yeah, no, I did. Um, every now and then I have a, a shot of literary genius, but, um, I wrote it down three times it must have really resonated with me well that is what I did when I left the business I went and got a master's in creative writing it was so much fun good
1: for you I mean that sounds like a lot of fun what I wanted to and I'm going to go back to this I think we've done it a couple of times but we've talked about you're not too old but really people don't have time to to learn about their own finances, what what are their excuses?
0: Well, they're they're so busy raising their families. I I understand that. Um, I I think, you know, women have a lot on their plates, but and and nobody's ever encouraged us. You know, I dropped out yeah. of math my freshman year and or my sophomore year in, in uh, high school because I was way ahead and it was really complicated, and nobody told me not to. Um, and and it would have been helpful. You know, I think women need to be encouraged to to understand that this isn't gambling, um, it's not a sport, and that's what women think. They wanna be in you know, secure investments, two thirds of women's also, it's like 80%, I think, so it's more than two thirds, say that they wanna be in FDIC insured vehicles. And that's the surest way, that's the fastest way to ensure you're not gonna have wealth. You have to be willing to take some risk. I mean, it, it's risky every time we get in a car, So this is the same thing. If you make informed decisions, you're buying a piece of a company and you, you, you stick with it and, and take some risk because that's how you make money. Well, we've covered a lot of
1: misconceptions or myths about investments and about your own wealth.
0: Did we miss anything? Think so? I I think you did a great job for not having read the book and not having it of, of steering me in the right direction.
1: I think I told you in the the uh, virtual green room this morning. I've got a I've got hundreds of books in this office, and every single book in here was gifted to me by my my podcast guests, and I've read them all. And I've got special shelves. You know, this is like okay, I'm gonna keep coming back to this one. This was great, but you know, it's, I don't need it right now, so it's gonna go further down. And then I've got an entire shelf of people who are going to be on my podcast, because I'm like, right now I'm booked all the way through January, it gets a little crazy. And I promise you 10 minutes, you know, before I was getting ready to speak with you, I was tearing that shelf apart going, where's that book? Where's that book? I was, I mean, I sounded like a whiny little brat saying, well, shoot, (laughs) but, you know, it's on its way. I know it is now. So, and what we'll do with this, once I've read the book, I will write a review and then I'll be able to come back and say, Hey, everybody, if you missed the podcast, go listen and then read the book. So it's, it's, it wasn't awful. It was just me making a mess in my office.
0: Oh, thank you for being so gracious.
1: Oh, it's, you know, I think this is such an important topic. So Nancy, before I let you go, tell people where they can find you. Tell us some more about the book. If you feel like we haven't quite covered it, we've got about three or four more minutes. So whatever you want to talk about, go.
0: Okay. Well, um, I do have an author site, um, nancytangler.com. I think it was under construction, but it's is complete now. And then our other, our website for the company is laffertangler.com. L-A-F-F-E-R tangler.com. Uh, I would, I would, I would also say that you can access, um, you asked me where you can get TGLR, you can click on a button there uh, on our website and it will take you to the ETF's website and you can buy it. Um, I I think the the thing that is most important to me is that uh, women are taken care of. Uh, I don't think we do a very good job of that in our society. There's 11.8 million widows there was in 2021 and there, and we add a million every year. So call it 13 million or 14 million now. And I, and I really think that there's not a safety net. And so in, in the ways that maybe we think there is, like I went to see if I could get my husband's social security. And if you make more than $30,000 a year, you can't get it. So there's things like that, where you you pay it all out in taxes, you can get it. Um, And it was just shocking to me that, and then what if i wasn't working i would have no benefits cuz i was 59 so i think just dealing with it facing it is is the first step and then just being deliberate and disciplined like women are in every aspect of their life i i that would give me much joy if i knew that women are being taken care of and the last thing i'll say denise is we've launched uh, a not for profit educational initiative called the women of wealth initiative Or wow, And uh, we filed with the IRS and we're going to have it up and running shortly. And you'll, I'm sure, be able to get to it from our website when it's ready. And there will be all sorts of educational materials, videos. We'll do virtual events. um, and, And I hope that that will also go a long way to helping women.
1: Nancy, do me a favor. When it is ready, shoot me a note or give me a call. I'll make sure our audience knows about it. Thank you. Okay, so. I have so many questions still. Oh, I know what question you just reminded me COVID. I'm guessing that more widows occurred in the last two, three years. Yeah. Yeah.
0: uh, More men died. I mean, at a much greater rate, it was like double the rate of women um, in during that period. And I don't know why I just know the statistic, but uh, yeah, there, and it, it was also stressful. So I'm sure there were a lot more divorces too.
1: Oh, yeah. My brother passed away a couple of years ago and he was a double lung, lung transplant. Oh, he lived eight years, you know, with with his new lungs. But because every time he had to go to San Francisco, you know, the hospital over there, they made sure that he had the COVID jab and it punched holes in his lungs. I'm not kidding you. Oh, my gosh. So it you know,
0: he was a COVID injury. I think there's a, 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 we're fine. We're going to find more and more of those. A lot. I'm afraid we will. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry.
1: Well, you know, it's, yeah. This is what happens when you leap without knowing what the hell you're doing. So that's, I'll just leave that right there. It could be finances. It could be medical institutions saying you have to do this. Well, no, I don't have to do anything. Let me do my own homework. Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, listen, Okay. Go ahead. So I was going to say, I think women are good at that too, because they do that for their children, right? They, they do a lot of the work and research before they expose their kids to certain things. And, and that's a life lesson that we should take, as you point out, in every aspect of our lives.
1: Exactly. You know, critical thinking is something that seems to be kind of on the back burner right now, but hopefully people will say, yeah, that doesn't sound right to me. That doesn't feel right to me. Let me do some homework. I'll get back to you. you right. No, I'm not going to do what you told me to do just because you told me to do it. I don't know about you. I get a little pigheaded about most stuff.
0: <laughs> I think we could be fast friends. I do too. <laughs>
1: As I, look, I fight with my NAV system. She is not the boss of me. I got lost yesterday going to the dentist. I knew where they were, more or less. And I had to call them from three miles down the road and say, can you walk me back? I'm lost. <laughs> so, yes, it is. What he, and I left early because I know I'm directionally impaired, but I still got lost. <laughs> Nancy, thank you so much for being here. I really look forward to reading the book and talking about it, reviewing it. And be sure that any time that you've got something new or exciting that is happening in your industry, let me know. I'll make sure that our audience knows about it.
0: Would love that. Thank you for that opportunity.
1: My pleasure. Well, listen, everybody, as we conclude today's episode, your feedback means an awful lot to me. If you found the show helpful, please support us with a quick review on iTunes. Your input is vital in my mission to inspire and empower More individuals. So don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a review, and share your partner in success radio with friends and colleagues. And be sure to go find Nancy Teckler on the web and connect with her. And thank you for tuning in. Nancy, thank you so much. Thank you, Denise. It was just a
0: pleasure. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far reaching podcast, Contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.